0: Psalm 2, verse 1 says, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sword, his pleasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will decree, declare the decree, the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a the rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time that we can open Your Word here this evening, Lord. We just pray that through your word through the the preaching and teaching of your word, that your people are edified, that your name is glorified, Father, that you would make me invisible in this, and people would remember you and how glorious you are, and just thank you for, for revealing yourself to us through your word, and I pray tonight for understanding that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and grant us wisdom tonight as we look into your word, Lord, in the name of Christ, amen. So let me start out. This by mentioning that this is a psalm of David. It doesn't say it here, um, but it is a song of David. The New Testament writers is attributed to David. We see that we'll see this actually later in Acts chapter four. It's actually called in the New Testament. It's called the second psalm too, in Acts thirteen thirty-three. So. We can, by that we can see that the way our psalms were broken down were the, were the same way they were broken down in the first century. Um, so that it, this is declared in the new covenant as the second psalm, and it is a psalm of David. And I'm going to do somewhat like I do on Sunday mornings. I have three points on this. And the first point is the rebellion of the nations. The, the second point is the installation of the king. And the third point is the call to repentance and warning. So the first point here is the rebellion of the nations. And we can see this in verses 1 through 5. But let's look at verse 1 through 3. I'm going to read them again. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We see this psalm starting out. With the heathens raging, that's what it says. And the people imagining a vain thing. By heathens, this means the nations. Other nations apart from Israel. um, In Jewish language, they would call all other nations, they were called the heathens, they were called dogs, they were called Gentiles, or they were called the world. But notice it's not just the nations here. It says, why do the heathen rage? Which is the word for nation. And the people imagine a vain thing the people i believe to be the jewish people so it's not only are the heathen raging not only are the nations raging the jews were imagining or plotting a vain or useless thing now here's the thing i think we could say at any point in history we could see both of these acts by both of these kind of people groups right we can, at any time in history, you can look down and you can just look out to the nations and you'd see the nations raging. Any time in history, you can look out and see the, the, the Jewish people and see them, and you could say they were imagining a vain thing. Uh, but David gives us a little more detail on it. They weren't just raging and plotting vain things. They set themselves up and took counsel together. We see this in chapter in verse 2. They set themselves up and rulers take counsel together against... The Lord, if you notice in your text, Lord is all caps, which is Yahweh. It's the the name of God. The the heathen and the the rulers and the people, they took counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed. Anyone know the Hebrew word for anointed? What we would get our word Messiah. Now it gets a little more specific, right? there in verse 2. It's not that that they're just raging and imagining a vain thing, but it's that they set themselves up against Yahweh and against His Messiah. So they were mad about some, they weren't mad about just something in general and plotting vain things in general, but it, it was that they were coming together against Yahweh and against His Messiah. It's a very specific thing that they were doing. They were plotting to come against Yahweh. Can anyone think of a time that this happened? Turn with me to Acts chapter (coughs) 4. Acts 4 verse 23. And it says and being let go they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them and when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said Lord thou art God which hath made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the mouth of thy servant David has said why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing does that sound familiar you see right there it says it's a psalm of David he says by the mouth of David why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing this is Psalm 2 that he's quoting right here and then look at the next verse the kings of the earth stood up the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined beforehand to be done. This here, what is this talking about? This is talking about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, that's what David was talking about there in Psalm chapter 2. And we can say that because that's what the apostles said, right? The apostle quotes Psalm chapter 2 and says, That was this. They are saying this very Psalm, Psalm 2, that portion of it was about the crucifixion of Jesus. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine of vain thing? Why did they set themselves up against Yahweh and against his anointed? That is talking about the crucifixion, and that's talking about when the Gentiles and the Jews came together and murdered the son. The psalmist also tells us why they did it back in Psalm 2. I'm going to go back there myself. My Bible turned right to it. In verse 3, it tells us why. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now, some, I know some think, and they, I think they can argue, and I, I wouldn't argue so much about this, but I know some think that they're talking about the law here, but I think it's more so the gospel and the implications of it. And by that I mean, when we preach the gospel, we are saying to people, you're not good enough. That you're going to perish if you go after your own way. And what was Jesus preaching when He came on the scene? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, to the Jew, remember when He comes to the Jew and He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, what does the Jew think? Who is He to tell me to repent? Repent. I have Abraham as my father. And the Gentiles are like, who is he to tell me to repent? I have no king but Caesar. Jesus isn't saying to them, he doesn't succumb to them and say, now you must keep the law in order to be saved. But that you're not keeping the law and you're all doomed unless you repent and believe upon me. The Jews and the Gentiles hated that message. So much so that they mocked him, they persecuted him, and they murdered him. So the Gospel was a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, as we see there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When You read through that. And they wanted it away from them. Who are you to come tell me to repent and believe upon you? Get that message away from me. The idea of repenting and believing upon this guy, Jesus as the re- Messiah, was repugnant to them. They wanted it cast away. So they, so they killed the son, right? That's why they killed him, right? They didn't kill him because he was a nice guy. Well, you know, that that's the modern day Jesus, right? Jesus is a nice guy. He loved everybody. He was so nice to everybody. He, they wouldn't have killed him for that. They killed him because he preached, you're not good enough. You're going to perish unless you believe upon me. This idea of imagining a vain thing. It says the people are imagining a vain thing. I think you should remind it, and it did remind me. Of the, I don't know if you... They named the, the parables a lot, but sometimes you see different names. But the parable of the tenants in Mark chapter 12. Where the owner of the vineyard, remember, he had the owner of the vineyard, he had the workers in the vineyard, and he sent his servants, which was representative of the prophets. And what did the tenants do to the servants? They killed them. So the vineyard owner sent forth his son and they plotted to kill him right, and take his inheritance. That's what what the picture was. They plotted to kill the son and take his inheritance and that's exactly what happened at the crucifixion. God sent the prophets, they killed the prophets. We see this, Jesus uh, condemns the Jews in Matthew 23 and says you have always killed the prophets. God sent the prophets to warn you, and you killed them all. And now He sent forth His Son, and you killed Him too. There's a plotting to kill God's anointed. But notice verses four and five: He that sits in the heaven shall laugh; the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure this, this is more of like anthropomorphic language that they call anthropopathic language it's not as though God is literally sitting on the throne and having a big belly laugh because of all this stuff it's just to give us humans a, a visual of it to help us understand the laughing here isn't a laughing like it's comedy like he's sitting there watching a comedy it's a laughing and mocking it's a, it's a mocking laugh It's not as though God is laughing like it's so funny. It's to mock them. And why would He be mocking? Why would God mock the the heathens and the people? Because all the armies of the earth are reputed as nothing in His sight. Every person on earth could shake their fist at God and come against Him, and He could do away with every single one of us in a single word. I think another thing that we could see from this is they were doing exactly what God determined to be done. That's what we just saw in Acts 4.28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined beforehand to be done. They were gathered against the anointed. They were gathered against the Son to murder the Son. But God had ordained for that very thing to happen. They're thinking, let's cast these cords from us and break their bands asunder. Let's counsel against the anointed. Let's kill him. Yet God ordained not only for the action to take place, but for the very people to do those actions. As we see Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, we know the prophecy of Judas. We see this. We can actually see this in the picture of Satan as well, right? Satan most certainly wanted Jesus dead. I mean, he tried multiple times, did he not? And I believe he had a part in the murder of Jesus. Yet God ordained it to the end of saving his people. So it was a good thing. Not good for Satan to do it, but good because God ordained it to bring about a good end. We saw, we can actually see this, and this ain't in my notes, but if you went back to like Joseph, Right? His brother sold him into slavery he went through we know the story of Joseph he went to prison he went to he did, did all this stuff and at the very end he said, "You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good." what did he what did he mean he meant God meant for all of this to happen this was no accident that you guys sold me into slavery God meant for it to happen and it was for good so God laughs at them these these ones that are that are trying to break their bands asunder and cast them away, and imagining a vain thing, plotting to kill the Son, God laughs at them. And in verse 5 it says, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sword as pleasure. We actually see this fulfilled as well, right? Within history. I mean, was not Jerusalem destroyed within one generation of the death of Christ? God destroyed Jerusalem, 70 A.D within one generation. And was not the Roman Empire brought to naught as Christians took it over in fulfillment of Daniel chapter 2? When the kingdom is going to be set up, it's going to consume all those other kingdoms. That one of those kingdoms, the very last kingdom was the Roman kingdom. That's when the kingdom of God would show up and it would consume those kingdoms. God destroyed those nations. Yet, he established another nation. And I don't mean America. I love America but I'm not talking about America it's another nation a new nation a holy nation with a new king that's the church which we'll get into here in a second but not only that that God he destroyed those nations and he established a new nation but for those that did not repent of their wicked acts they had the wrath of God poured out upon them in hell too. The ones that plotted against the sun—probably the worst sin. I—I I, I shouldn't even say probably the worst sin ever man had ever done. Kill the sun. God would pour out His wrath in hell on those. So here's the thing: what we can do for this portion of it. We can take God as His word. What He speaks, He will do. The second point here is the installation of the king. We can see this in verses 6 through 9. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance and in the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like the, like the potter's clay. If the first portion that we already saw was about the the crucifixion and it has been fulfilled. Our next question should be, has this happened? The next portion of it, and I would say yes. The king has been set up upon the holy hill of Zion. He has been given the uttermost parts of the earth. He is breaking them with the rod of iron. This is true now. It's happening now. Now I don't believe this to mean that Jesus is actually standing or sitting on a mountain called Zion. This is talking about the church. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 he says, he's writing to, to the Christians there, right? And he says, but you, Christian, have come unto Mount Zion. He wasn't talking about a physical mountain. He says, but you have come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. What's he talking about? The city of the living God. He wasn't talking about Jerusalem right there either. Because he says, the heavenly Jerusalem is a different Jerusalem. It's not the The physical Jerusalem that was in Israel but you have come to Mount Zion unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels this is speaking to the person in the first century too. the writer of Hebrews I was written to the people in the first century Zion has been established as the church not a physical hill but a spiritual hill and Christ is reigning through his church this picture is greater than I'll ever be able to fully expound tonight, but I do want to see another picture of this. Turn to Revelation chapter two, and this is um, ties right into this. Uh, Revelation two twenty six. says, And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning story. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcomes is talking about the believer. We can see this if you read through the uh, starting of Revelation chapter 2, and you read through these uh, churches, he that overcomes, and it's talking about believers the whole time. He that overcomes, I'll be I'll give this. He that overcomes, I'll allow to eat of the paradise, of the tree in paradise. He that overcomes is talking about the believer, but it's and when we're talking about believers, what are we talking about? The church. We can see this, and you can quote me over and over again in these chapters. But it, it, it says to him who overcomes to him who overcomes to him same him right to him who overcomes to him I will give power over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers and then notice what it says there because this is Jesus speaking right here this is Jesus speaking to his church and he says even as I received of my father where did Jesus receive this from his father we're, we saw this quote, right? This is a direct quote from Psalm 2. The same thing. It says that it will be given to the Son to, to rule them with a rod of iron. And then Jesus says, To him that overcomes, I give it to you. Even as I received it from my Father. In Psalm 2, this is Jesus right here in Re- Revelation chapter 2. Psalm 2 is about who? Jesus and the power given to Jesus. Then Jesus says, I'll give you, the church, this power. We know the Great Commission, right? Go ye, he said, first he says, all authority is given unto me. Go you, therefore. Why would I go? You have all the authority because he's with us and he says, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. All authority is given unto me, go you therefore. This is the same picture here. This authority was given to Christ and he he exercises that authority through his church. Christ is ruling right now. And how? Through his body. Through his church. He used his early followers to be witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. What's the last part, you know? To uttermost parts of the earth. What does he say in Psalm 2? Ask of me, and I will give you the uttermost parts of the earth. God promised his son, he was going to give him the uttermost parts of the earth. And then what happens with his disciples? He tells them, Go and be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So that stuff that was given to Jesus, he gives it to his people. The king is truly ruling and reigning. Now we do know, obviously, without, this ain't in my notes either, but the, that there will become a day at the consummation when we'll all be with him. Physically, with new bodies. But right now he is still reigning. But that does not take away from him reigning right now him sitting on his throne right now. I'm going to go back here to Psalm 2. And from my third point the call to repentance and warning now this is you know I typically do a call to re- faith and repentance for for us but this is a call to repentance and warning to these people he's talking about in verses 10 through 12 be wise now therefore O ye kings be instructed ye judges of the earth serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him now because jesus christ is crucified buried risen to sit upon his throne in heaven with earth as his footstool right he commands o ye kings be instructed you judges of the earth this i believe to be in course or responds back to verses 1 through 3 Verses one through three, what do we see? We've seen the heathens, and we've seen the people of Israel. Or we could say we saw the nations, or the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. Here he says, kings and judges. Kings being the nations and judges of Israel. Or we could say, this is the easier way to put it, all the rulers of the earth serve the Lord with fear. That's the command here. There's no way out of this. You're either a heathen or you're the people of Israel. And now we know in the New Covenant that there is no difference between us. But he's saying, he's commanding all nations, all rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. Because the king has been set up in Zion, all the rulers of the earth bow before him. Because the beloved begotten son has came and set up his kingdom all other kingdoms will serve him he has been given the uttermost parts of the earth his kingdom is established and his government shall be have no end as it tells us Isaiah chapter 9 therefore kings and rulers of the earth he says kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish I don't see an apology. There's no asterisk in here that says, look back to the back of the book for the apology because he's commanding all nations to bow before him. So what do we ought to do, right? If this, if, this command, if this stuff that's given here, he says, I will give thee the heathen for thy inheritance and they shall break them with a rod of iron, they shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. If that's given to us, why would we not say the same thing that, that is said right here in Psalms by David? All kings of the earth, kiss the Son lest he be angry. That's the call to repentance to them. Yes, you kings and rulers of the nations, set yourselves up against the Lord and against His anointed. You murdered the beloved Son, but through that act, The Son has risen from the grave and sat down on His throne. And now all nations will bow before Him. We don't have time to do this, but if you want, you can read Psalm 72, which is a prophecy of that very thing happening. So the the command is repent and serve the Lord or perish under His wrath. That's the call to the nations. And God displayed it through Israel. And Rome in the early church, God has clearly displayed throughout history that the nation that totally rejects Him will be destroyed. So the call is to repent for the nations and their leaders. But this ends, this psalm ends with, Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. A call to repentance, and then what we call the blessed man. Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. And I know we throw around that term "blessed" often in our culture, don't we? You see this license plate: "Too blessed to be stressed." However, when Scripture speaks about blessed, the blessed man is speaking about those in Christ by faith, not about your material blessing, but about your spiritual blessing of having no condemnation. of of having perfect justification before God, of standing before God on Judgment Day and knowing that though my works were far from perfect, Jesus Christ's works have been credited to me and I stand perfect before the King. That's the thrust of the psalm, right? That the King, who is the Son, has been established and blessed are those that trust in Him. He's been, y'all plotted against him. You guys murdered him. He has been risen. He has sat down on the throne. He's commanded you to repent. And blessed are you if you trust in him. So the main question we must ask ourselves is, are we trusting him? If you are you're blessed if you're not he's angry with you and you will perish unless you repent and believe upon this king he has been given the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession and his kingdom is advancing repent all you kings and rulers and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ or perish that's it that's Psalm 2 you thought you could overthrow him? Yet in the very act you thought would overthrow him was the act in which he overthrew the kingdom of darkness and now has set up the kingdom of light. So look to him and be saved, because he is ruling and reigning now from Zion, and you Christian have come to Mount Zion. So now serve him with reverence and godly fear, as the writer of Hebrews closes out chapter 12 there commanding us to do